The Air by Vita Sackville West. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Story four. Her Son. Nine. He could, if he had been so inclined, have observed the process at work after dinner, when, his mother seated with knitting in an armchair on one side of the fire, and he with a cigar in another armchair on the other side of the fire, his legs stretched out straight to the blaze, they talked intermittently, a conversation in which the future played more part than the past. Henry found that his mother had definite ideas about the future, ideas which she took for granted that he would share. He knew that he ought to say at once that he did not share them, but that would entail disappointing his mother, and this he was reluctant to do, at any rate on the first day. Poor old lady, let her be happy. What was the good of sending her to bed worried? In a day or two he would give her a hint. He remembered that she was not usually slow at taking a hint. He hoped she would not make a fuss. Really, it would be unreasonable if she made a fuss. She could not seriously expect him to spend his life in talking to lines. But for the present, let her keep her illusions. She seemed so greatly to enjoy telling him about her farm. And he needn't listen. He could say yes and fancy from time to time, since that seemed to satisfy her, and, meanwhile, he could think about Isabel. He had promised Isabel that he would not be away for more than three days at the outside. He hoped he would not find it too difficult to get away back to London at the end of three days. There would be a fuss if he went, but on the other hand, Isabel would make a far worse fuss if he stayed. Isabel was not as easy-going as he could have wished, though her flares of temper, when they were not so prolonged as to become inconvenient, amused him and constituted part of the attraction she had for him. He rendered to Isabel the homage that she attracted him just as much now as five years ago, before he left for the Argentine. She had even improved in the interval. Improved with experience, he told himself cynically, not resenting the experience in the least. She had improved in appearance, too, having found her type, and he recalled the shock of delight with which he had seen her again. The curious pale eyes and the hard line of the clubbed black hair, cut square across her brows. Certainly Isabel had attraction, and was as wild as she could be, not a woman one could neglect with impunity if one didn't want her to be off and away. No, there was a flick and a spirit about Isabel. That was what he liked. How his mother would disapprove of Isabel. He sent out, to disguise a little chuckle, a long stream of smoke, and the thought of his mother's disapproval tickled him much. His mother, rambling on about foot-and-mouth disease, and about how afraid they had been last year that it would come across into Gloucestershire, while Isabel, probably, was at some supper-party, sitting on a table and singing to her guitar those Moorish songs in her husky, seductive voice. He was not irritated with his mother for her difference. At another moment he might have been irritated, but at present he was too comfortable, too warm, too full of a good dinner, to find her unconsciousness anything but diverting. And, as the contrast appeared to him more and more as a good joke, he encouraged her, with sympathetic comments, and with the compliment of his grave attention. 
so that she put behind her, finally and entirely, the disappointment she had had over the three hundred acres, and expounded to him all her dearest schemes, leaning forward, tapping him on the knee with her long knitting-needle to enforce her points, enlisting his sympathy in all her difficulties with lines, and lines' obstinacy, exactly as she had planned to do, and as, up to the present, she had not secured a very good opportunity of doing. This was ideal, to sit by the fireside after dinner with Henry, long, slender, nodding gravely, his eyes on the fire, intent with concentration, and to pour out to him all the little grievances of years, and the satisfactions, too, for she did not believe in dwelling only upon what went wrong, but also upon that which went right. And so you see, dear boy, I have really been able to make both ends meet, it was a little difficult at times, I own, but now I am bound to say the farm is paying very nicely. Lines could show you the account books any time. I think perhaps you ought to run your eye over them. You must have picked up a lot of useful knowledge out there. Oh, yes, said Henry broadly. Well, it will all come in very useful here, won't it? Although I dare say English practice is different in many ways. I could see that Lines very quickly discovered that you knew what you were talking about. It will be a great thing for me, Henry, a very great thing, to have your support and advice in future. Henry made an attempt. He said, But if I don't happen to be on the spot? Oh, well, you won't be very far away, said Mrs. Martin comfortably. Even if you do like to have rooms in London, I could always get you at a moment's notice. Henry found great consolation in this remark. It offered a loophole, and he readily placed his faith in loopholes. He was also relieved, because he considered, his mother having said that, there was no necessity now for him to say anything. Let her prattle about the estate, and about the use he was going to be to her. There would always be, now, those rooms in London in which he could take refuge. Why, you suggested it yourself, he could say raising aggrieved eyebrows, if any discussion arose in the future. It was true that her next observations diminished the value of his loophole, but he chose to ignore that. What was said was said. Rooms in London, Christmas with his mother, and perhaps a weekend in the summer, and a couple of days shooting in the autumn. He wouldn't mind a little rough shooting, and had already ascertained from lines that there were a good many partridges and a few pheasants and he could always take back some birds to Isabel. He saw himself, on the station platform, with his flat gun-case and cartridge-bag, and the heavy bundle of limp game, rabbits, partridges, and pheasants, tied together by the legs. He would go out to-morrow, and see what he could pick up for Isabel. His mother would never object. She would think the game was for his own use, in those rooms she, thank goodness, so conveniently visualized and if it wasn't for Isabel, in future years, well, no doubt it would be for somebody else. He awoke from these plans to what his mother was saying. I don't think it would be good for you to live entirely in the country, so I shall drive you away, Henry dear, whenever you show signs of becoming a vegetable. I shall be able to carry on perfectly well without you, as I have done all these years. You need never worry about that, Besides, you must go to London to look for Mrs. Henry. What? said Henry, genuinely startled. His mother said, smiling, 
that some day he would have to marry. She would like to know her grandchildren before she died. There was the long attic at the top of the house, which they could have as a playroom. "'Sure there is no one?' she questioned him again, more urgently, more archly this time, and he denied it laughing, to reassure her. And suddenly the laughter which he had affected became hearty, for he had thought of Isabel, Isabel whom he would never dream of marrying, and who would never dream of marrying him. Isabel, insolent, lackadaisical, exasperating, with the end of a cigarette, a fag, she called it, smouldering between her lips, Isabel with her hands stuck in the pockets of her velveteen jacket, and her short black hair, Isabel holding forth, perched on the corner of a table, contradicting him, getting angry, pushing him away when he tried to catch hold of her and kiss her. "'Oh, you think the idea of marrying funny enough now?' said his mother sagely, hearing him laugh. "'But you may be coming to me with a very different tale in a few months' time.' He was in a thoroughly good temper by now. He lounged deeper into his armchair, and he stirred the logs with his foot. "'Good cigars, these, mother,' he said, critically examining the one he took from between his teeth. "'Who advises you about cigars?' "'Mr. Thistlewaite recommended those,' Mrs. Martin replied, enchanted. "'Mr. Thistlewaite? Who's Mr. Thistlewaite?' asked Henry. She had an impulse to tell him, even now, the story of Mr. Thistlewaite and the three hundred acres, to ask him whether he thought she had acted very unscrupulously. But a funny, inexplicable pride held her back. She said quietly that Mr. Thistlewaite was the local M.P. Henry, to her relief, betrayed no further interest. He continued to stir the fire absently with the toe of his shoe, and his mother, watching him, looked down a long vista of such evenings, when the lamplight would fall on to the bowl of flowers she placed so skilfully to receive it, and on the black satin head of Henry. 10. She opened her window before getting into bed, and looked out upon a clear night and the low-lying mists of autumn. It was very still. The church clock chimed, a dog barked in the distance, and the breathless silence spread once more like a lake round the ripple of those sounds. She looked towards that bit of England, which was sufficient to her, milky and invisible. She thought of the ricks standing in the silent rickyard, and the sleeping beasts nearby in the sheds. She, who had been brisk and practical for so many years, became a little dreamy. Then, bestirring herself, she crossed the room to bed. All was in order, a glass of milk by the bed, a box of matches, a clean handkerchief, her big repeater watch. She wound it carefully, and put it away under the many pillows. She sank luxuriously into the pillows, that little pleasure which was every night renewed. She thought to herself that she was really almost too happy. Such happiness was a pain. There was no means of expressing it. She could not shout and sing, so it had to be bottled up, and the compression was plain, exquisitely. For about five minutes, during which she lived with a swimming head, through a lifetime of sensations, she lay awake. Then amongst her pillows she fell asleep. 11. Next morning she was awakened by some sound she could not at first define, but which she presently identified as the remote ringing of the telephone bell. She listened. 
The servants would answer it, of course, but she wondered who could be calling the house so early in the day. Feeling very wide awake, she slipped into her dressing gown and slippers and went to the top of the stairs to listen. She heard Henry's voice downstairs in the hall. "'Yes, yes, hello, yes, I'm here. Is that you, darling? Sorry to ring you up at this hour, but later on every word I said would be overheard. Yes, infernally public,' he laughed softly. "'No, I don't suppose anyone ever uses this telephone for purposes they'd rather keep to themselves. Oh, all right, thanks. Pleased to see me? Yes, I think so. Look here, things are going to be deuced awkward. Well, she expects me to spend most of my time here. Yes, an awful bore. Oh, well, it's natural enough, I suppose. Five years and all that, don't you know? Well, but what am I to say? Can't be too brutal, can one? Oh, bored stiff in two days, of course. I simply don't know what to do about it. Besides, I'm dying to get back to you. Yes, silly, of course. I wish you'd help, Isabel. Tell me what to say to the old lady. No, she seems to take it quite for granted. Oh, all the year round, with an occasional week in London. I can't say I think it in the least funny. Well, of course, if I was a downright brute. Mrs. Martin turned and went back into her bedroom. She shut the door very gently behind her. Presently she heard Henry come upstairs and go into his room. End of story four.